0: What happens is, of course, the patients were feeling like, how did nobody believe me? And I was telling my nurse, I was telling my doctor, and why did nobody believe me? Whoever was in that procedure room, how was I not believed after that? And and, I found myself really thinking about that, and going, gosh, how do you not believe hundreds of women?
1: Excruciating pain and public scandal. Those are the topics of a podcast that is much better known and will reach far more people than this one ever will. You might be familiar with the incidents of fentanyl theft by a fertility nurse at the Yale Fertility Clinic that occurred in 2020. You might be familiar with the lawsuits that happened after it. And now there is a podcast that is currently ranked number one in all podcasts, a miniseries from the New York Times and Serial called The Retrievals. By the time this episode comes out, all five episodes of The Retrievals will be out. At time of recording, they're not all out yet. The first episode is about the patients, the second about the nurse, the third is about the court case, the criminal court case, that is, not the civil one that came later, and the fourth is about the clinic. My guest is Lisa Duran. Lisa's been an in-house marketing director for fertility clinics before. She was the chief experience officer at Inception Fertility for some years, and she's consulted dozens of fertility clinics, big and small, throughout the U.S. and Canada on patient experience, management tools, and leadership capabilities. Lisa listened to all four episodes that are currently out, I think more than once, and she. She has four big takeaways that you and other fertility clinics can employ to drastically reduce the likelihood of a terrible scandal like this ever happening to your clinic. The first is a closed loop feedback system. She gives examples of those systems, how they work, how they escalate, how patients use them, how staff use them. The second is recruitment and retention as risk management necessities. And I share a couple things I learned about recruitment and retention, and reducing some administrative time to fill responsibilities that currently fall on your staff. Lisa's third takeaway is about leadership, how to engage your team's hearts so there's always accountability. And in the fourth, she has three points about service recovery, how to validate feelings, get more information, and take ownership of the follow-through. This is not a bright chapter for the fertility field. Hundreds of women suffered in excruciating physical pain. It's an embarrassing scandal, and the cat is out of the bag. These media outlets are huge, and now the topic is very much in the public square. This episode isn't about Yale Fertility Clinic. Lisa argues that this could have happened at a lot of different fertility clinics, she shares why, and she shares her takeaway of how you can prevent it. Enjoy today's conversation with Lisa Duran. Ms. Duran, Lisa, welcome back to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast for what I think is the fourth time.
0: Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We're on to talk about a current topic, too, of uh, one that has just started to wrap up but is still very popular that more people in our field are starting to find out about it. And it's from an incident that happened back at Yale Fertility three years ago, and the New York Times, along with their subordinate company, Serial, made a podcast that is the most popular podcast right now, a series, five different episodes about this incident that happened back in 2020. As it was released, you texted me like, did you see this? I said, yes, I saw this. I want to talk to you about it. I want to have you come on and tell us about how this can be prevented in the future and we can go through it. Why don't you set it up, explain to the audience what the podcast is about?
0: Sure. Okay. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk about this because you know, I was getting texts from friends too and emails saying, Have you listened? Have you listened? And so, of course, I jumped right on. It's called The Retrievals, and there have been four episodes. The fifth episode and last episode is dropping this Thursday. And I just I found just ranges of emotion throughout you know, the series of, the, of this podcast. And I wanted to share them with you because I think they're really important, and this is not going to be about how Yale failed. This is not going to be anything about processes necessarily, or, you, know, I don't have a clinical background in terms of I'm not a nurse. I'm really going to talk about the experience today. So the lens that I was listening to the podcast with was from the experience standpoint. And so the first episode was about the patients and about their horrible experience. And hundreds of patients went through a retrieval. With no pain meds because there was a nurse that was stealing the fentanyl, and 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 replacing the fentanyl with saline. So you know the the nurses or whoever was administering what they thought were pain meds, and these patients weren't getting them. And so hundreds of patients were complaining about pain, you know, going through an excruciating ordeal without any pain management. And so of course the first episode just tears rolling down my cheeks for these patients and just you know, what they, what they went through, and it was not just the physical, but it was the emotional of, you know, the, what we do as women is we, we talk ourselves in and out of things, right? And so many women said that what they did is they found themselves telling themselves stories about why this was happening. Well, maybe I'm just not sensitive to family. You know, this is just what I have to go through because my body's not operating the way it should. This is just what I have to endure for this process. And it was just so sad because we often do that as women is we just, you know, we we, we try to explain it away and we try to blame ourselves and just say, you know what, just suck it up and deal with it and it's going to be okay. And and, and I think one of the most difficult parts is is hearing how after it all came out, how they thought, you know, how did no one believed me, you know? How did the nurse not believe me? How did the doctors not believe me? How did, you know, whoever was in that procedure room, how was I not believed after that? And, and, and I found myself really thinking about that and going, gosh, how do you not believe hundreds of women, right? And so we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. So episode two is all about the nurse's story. And I found myself tears rolling down my cheeks about her story and thinking, gosh, you know, what could have been done to help her? along? The third episode is about the court case. And of course, you know, you're, you're saying, gosh, she should, you know, she should get what's coming to her. But on the other hand, you know, after episode two and hearing her story, you empathize with her as well. No excuse for her decision, but, and, and then this last one was so good. It was about the clinic, of course, and where was the clinic in all this? And what was, what was the patient's experience and as well as the, the, employee experience throughout this deal? So those are the four podcasts that have dropped that you're able to listen to and what I'm going to unpack during this, you know, this, this, this talk as we unpack everything.
1: Do you know what the fifth episode is going to be about? Do we know what it'll be about before it it drops?
0: You know, that's a great question. And I've been researching and trying to find out. And I believe it's going to be more about the clinic and just really summarizing everything. But I don't know. I'm dying. Thursday. Thursday. It's on my calendar.
1: By the time this episode comes out, that episode will be out. But at least we've got four episodes thus far. First about the patient, second about the nurse, third about the court case, and fourth about the clinic. And you talked about the patients feeling like, well, I guess I just have to suck it up. I guess this is just the way it is for me. Did did they have any kind of recourse where they could have found out? if other people were going through this? Is there something that could have been done for to, to at least know for them that this isn't an isolated incident?
0: Actually, I'm so glad you asked that question. It actually tees up. The solution that I feel would be, would have been a great way to catch it early on. You know, what happens is, of course, the patients were feeling like, how did nobody believe me? And I was telling my nurse, I was telling my doctor, and why did nobody believe me? I don't believe that that was the case. I don't believe that the women weren't believed or that that the nurse, the doctor didn't care. What I believe happens is that, you know, there are so many different people So many different nurses and so many different doctors that are working with patients that they're not necessarily talking to each other about it. And so they're not seeing a common thread. And so your question, Griffin, about, you know, what is there something that could have been done? And yes, there should be a formalized process for patients to give feedback, one that doesn't depend on one, two, or 10 people to communicate you know, and and then find, you know, how do you communicate that? Who documents that? You know, with technology today, there are some amazing systems, you know, Qualtrics, Medallia, they have an SMS real-time surveying that can, by touch point, you know, after retrieval within, you know, 24 hours or after the patient's recovered, can send them a text and say, you know, Lisa, you know, how was your experience? Or tell us, you know, how could we have improved this experience? And, and, and If they would have something like that in place, they would have seen a common thread. Text analytics would have picked it up, and they would have seen a a very common defect going on. They would have caught it earlier because they would have seen this, this feedback being woven through a lot of the patient's feedback.
1: Okay, so there's the opportunity for patients to report using text, you know, they get they get something, how tell us about your visit. It was terrible. I felt like I I was going through excruciating pain. It was a 10 out of 10 pain. If they had seen this from a number of different people, ostensibly they would have been able to connect a pattern. Now, is there something in the technology that connects the pattern for them? would they have to would they have to connect the pattern themselves? Would somebody have to be monitoring it actively? in other words, so if they if they have this and you get 10 patients in a week that all say I had excruciating pain in my during my retrieval, that should send up a red flag. but it, what if nobody's at the helm reading it? How, how does how does the other end of it work?
0: Another great question. The beauty of these platforms is that there are two things. There's text analytics. That will compile common themes and will push them out to leadership. And when you're when you were building the system with whatever company you choose, you you create the governance, right? You create the who who it goes out to. And and the other thing is there's a closed loop system that is absolutely beautiful. That if there's a, you know, you set whatever the rating is, and if the patient gives it a rating, you know, you talked about, you know, the rating of 10, and, and let's say they give it. A five and a detractor would be a five. And there's a closed loop system that that does a real time right away alert to the practice administrator. And then the practice administrator can give that patient a call and find out what happened and close that loop. And there are actually systems in place to where if that doesn't happen, an alert goes to the next person. And if that doesn't happen, then an alert can go to the next person. So the idea is that no patient left behind, no patient unsatisfied, or no patient that had a less than optimum experience is not followed through with a phone call right away to try and preserve that relationship and fix it. And you better believe that if somebody, if a leader is getting you know constant detractors on the same issue, that there is going to be some awareness there. And we're, we are going to talk about leadership and in in one of these conversations and we'll dig a little bit deeper into what happens then, but the system is good and it takes the subjectivity out of things and it really creates data and, and it helps you see, you know, how much of a problem it really is. And I believe that this would have been caught a lot sooner had they had a system in place.
1: So that escalation would help to catch it and not for it just to be another normal issue. Because you could have one patient that is just keeps dinging you for, I didn't get a call back about my lab results yet. I didn't get a call back about, you, you could have that. But if you started to, if you really started to get pinged from multiple people about the same issue, it seems like you would pick that up a lot faster. That you wouldn't have to be worried about the boy who cried wolf with this type of solution, because you're talking about a critical mass of people and a critical frequency about a critical problem.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. And depending on how you set it up, as well as it's not going to just one leader, it should be going to multiple. And if an administrative leader doesn't think it's important, it doesn't happen or doesn't get paid attention to. So, right, it becomes subjective and one person makes the decision and whether it's an issue or not. This takes all of that away because there are multiple people looking at it and if you've got leaders that are really looking at the big picture, you know, if one doesn't seem as, doesn't think it's important, there are many other eyes on it that may, may believe that, yeah, this is something very important that we need to be addressing.
1: Tell me if I'm jumping ahead too far. And if I am, then unjump me back. But that, how did the patient while we're on the topic of the first episode of the patients, how did they come to find out about each other? Was it not until charges were pressed on the the nurse? Was it was it did, did they find a way to connect with each other in a support group or, or elsewhere? How, how did they find out a bit about each other?
0: You know, that actually in in the service recovery piece, that was my my fourth, you know, I, I have four points of my four big takeaways from this. And the first one was that having a system in place. So that was the first one. The fourth one was on that service recovery piece and how it was handled with the patients and with the team. And so, yeah, they, you know, they found out via letter. You know, they got a letter in the mail. The patients got a letter, not a phone call, but they got a letter. And in that service recovery piece, you know, I, I believe that that we all can be better at service recovery. And so, as far as the patients they they found out about each other much later when when it became public when it became when it was on the news and, and when people started to talk about it they did not feel comfortable talking about it in the clinic as they would continue their treatment some continued the treatment some didn't and nor could they talk to their nurses or their the, the team about it and that that was difficult on the team because the team was instructed not to talk about it and, and completely understand that the company has to protect and make sure that you know nobody says something that is going to damage the company or throw someone unnecessarily under the bus. But there's a way to equip teams to be able to have healthy dialogue about it and when you tell them just don't talk about it then it's, it's
1: one it don't work yeah 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 it don't work so i want to come back to that when we talk about service recovery and and so in your four takeaways we had the first one was closed loop feedback system what was the second main takeaway and what was the third and then we'll go into them each individually
0: Yeah, that sounds great. So the first one was on the patient experience, and you know what could we do? And it's having that system in place where they they can give feedback real time, not not the feedback just once you get the pregnant, but each touch point at the at the very important touch points. The second one was you know like the second episode Donna's story. It was the nurse's story, and it was the employee experience. You know I'm in clinics all the time, and I have such a heart for the teams, and and I see you know, firsthand uh, places where they are equipped and where, where they are enabled to give great patient care. And I also see where they suffer, you know, and, and in this particular case, what happened was they had two nurses that had quit and they had a new nurse manager that they were frustrated with. And so they were spread very thin. And that is no excuse for making the decision that Donna made. I want to make sure that that's very clear. What I will tell you is that I think at times, you know, we, we think about employee retention as something very important. And it is, you know, when you look at how much it costs an organization, it's 100% of their salary, you know, to, to recruit, train, onboard, and get them up to speed. It's not just about you know, retaining great talent, it's also about managing risk. And so when you've got a a team that spreads so thin and it's, it's ripe for abuse, and again, very good intentions, leadership, very good intentions, everybody doing the best they can. But it made me realize that employee retention and talent retention is not a nice to have it's a have to have on so many levels it's not only taking care of the organization it's taking care of the people that are there the ones that stay and a lot of you know the the, the nurses that they talked to they said you know we didn't we don't feel like we could give patient good good patient care we became a nurse because we wanted to care for patients and when we're spread so thin we couldn't care for the patient the way we wanted to and one of the nurses said I just find that I, I was constantly apologizing and it wears on you when you're constantly apologizing, when your heart is to give good patient care. And, and I just feel like there's a lot out there. And so that's why this is not about Yale. This is really about really about, in healthcare? How are we taking care of our people? And how are we ensuring that that when there are openings, you know, we can't always control, we can do everything we can to be proactive. But when there are openings, when you've got two nurses down in an organization, what are you doing for the people that are there that are picking up, you know, the extra, the extra patients and how are we caring for them? And so that that was my second takeaway on, on as a as it relates to these the series but it's the employee experience how are we taking i want to
1: come back to that employee experience to talk about retention and recruitment some more especially as it relates to risk management what was the third major takeaway for you and did that also core seems like each of your takeaways like you had one major takeaway per episode topic was the third did the third topic was was that all did that also correspond with the third episode did that come from the court case or or was that a different takeaway
0: Actually, this is the only one on the court case. that was more of an emotional takeaway for me because you know if I would have just listened to episode one I would have been like you know throw her in the slammer (laughs) right and that's terrible to say but but after hearing her story it reminded me that every life has a story right and and what could we have done or what could you know what were the signs that we could have taken better care of her again that's no excuse there's lots of people that have the stress that she has that doesn't that don't make the decision that she made so that's no excuse but the Court case. I just found myself like the judge. Actually, you'll hear the judge talking about not quite knowing how to navigate this because, you know, you see both sides of it, and so so there really wasn't a huge takeaway other than just my personal emotions on it, just the the roller coaster of it.
1: So, so what was your third takeaway?
0: The third takeaway was on leadership. You know, and it's so funny because what I'm doing now is it's called an integrated experience because I don't believe that you can just Create a patient experience program and scale it across a company and expect it to be fabulous, right? You've got to have great leadership in place to catch, you know, catch those wins and celebrate those wins and then coach for behavior change. and And then there's the employee experience. You know, people don't do what organizations expect. They do what's paid attention to and they, and, you know, you want their hearts, you know, in leadership. We don't just want people's compliance in healthcare, absolutely compliance is, is, is critical. But we also want their hearts, because if we have their hearts, then they're going to take great right care of the patients. And so, what I found my third takeaway was with leadership. You know, what one of the actually the hostess, the host of the podcast said, who was managing Donna? You know, and I see this so often in clinics, you know, there's been a nurse that's been there 15 years and she becomes the nurse manager or the senior nurse or, or he, and there's a lot of trust put in that person. And I'm not saying it's not rightfully put there, but there needs to be accountability, not just systematic accountability, you know, for the meds and, the, and, and all, but there also needs to be personnel accountability at every level. And so where was, who was managing Donna? And who was the leader that was looking at the big picture? And so often we find that, that in healthcare that there are managers that are managing tasks but not leading people. And so it just you know it made me think of this new manager that they were very frustrated with. What was her experience or his experience? You know, what, what, what was that person's onboarding experience like? Is somebody coming alongside them and helping them to build trust with the team so that they can have healthy dialogue? You know, what was that manager's experience like? And so without good leadership, without strong leadership of people leading and servant leadership, then again, it's, it's ripe for abuse. And so that was my third You're a
1: very efficient thinker. I know your, your points don't perfectly correspond with the episodes, but they almost do. And it makes it very easy to follow. So episodes go patient, nurse, court case, clinic. Your major takeaways go closed loop feedback system, a, a retention and recruitment as a means of, of risk management, leadership and accountability, and then service and recovery. We talked about the closed loop feedback system. Before we get into your second major takeaway, I am curious about what you found to to what, what tugged at your heartstrings with the nurse, because I think of you as somebody that actually probably would be a good person to have on, on a jury. Like in a liberal democracy, I feel like Lisa Duran is the type of person that you want on a jury to give to, to give fair jurisprudence to, to people, and I think of somebody like my dad who has been selected for, not called on Lisa, selected for jury three times because he's so even keeled. My dad's my dad's the type of guy that you want on a jury, and I feel like Lisa Duran's somebody that you want on a jury. But what swayed you about the nurse?
0: Well, wow, there were so many things. You know, she's a mama herself. She, she has kids. I think what drove her to the decision, you know, when you hear her life, when you hear about her her marriage, that was a very unhealthy relationship. And, you know, there was some, some verbal abuse, emotional abuse, and how it was a very unhealthy situation. And, you know, that's my very favorite video is that Chick-fil-A video that's the Every Life Has a Story. And it just really reminded me that, you know, what drives somebody to do something like that? Is this a bad person? No, I don't believe this is a bad person. I believe that this was a very broken, very hurt person who needed some intervention, who needed some help. And so, you know, my, my heart went out to her. But then you go back to listen to episode one and you hear these patients and you're like, oh, it just, I don't think I would be a good, good juror because I think I'd have a hard time making the decision. I think I just.
1: You're leading too much towards mercy and not not enough towards justice in that scenario. Yeah, yeah well. very
0: good, right. You, you said that very well. <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> Well then t-
1: talk to me about how retention and recruitment are are a means of risk management and you you alluded to it as you were covering the you were giving the synopsis of the point but I want to hear more about how it's not just for to have butts in the seats it's not just for productivity it's not just for the the cost impact of having to retain and recruit somebody new and train them and that being 100% of their salary. But there, there also is risk when seats aren't filled. Tell us
0: about that. Yes. Well, I think, you know, my entire career, I've been doing patient experience, patient experience as a differentiator, patient experience as it's the right thing to do. Right? And patient experience as, you know, it's, it, it's a good thing for the team member as well as the patient and they're, and, and championing for the patient experience as, as a good thing, as a as differentiator. And this made me realize it is all of that. And it is also risk management because it really highlighted the fact that when teams are spread very thin, what could happen in that? And this happens to be a, unfortunately a scenario that that's exactly what happened. A very skeleton crew, you know, a new leader and and a decision was made without accountability and, and people that are spread too thin to pay attention to some of the cues that would have alerted them to some things not quite right, and 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 they did in in the in the podcast. So I think it was yeah, I think it was episode two. They and episode four, they did some of the team members did talk about some things that just didn't seem quite right. There were a few things that were off, but they're so busy, right? They were just going from one patient to another that they really didn't have time to process that or communicate that you know, to each other or up to a leader who had the big picture in mind to, you know, to to hit that off with the pass or to, you know, address it or at least ask the right questions. And so when you have, when people are spread thin, it really becomes a risk management, not just a good thing to have for patient experience. It's also, and it's also retaining the good people that you have because, you know, as a few of the nurses said, if we don't feel like we could give good patient care you know we can go somewhere where we're equipped to give good patient care and if there's an, an urgency in filling the positions with the right people and and please know my heart in that i think hr hr leaders have the hardest job ever just trying to find the right people. And they're working really hard to do that. And so hats off to, to, the, to the HR community right now. I know this is really hard with a, with a, with a short list of people or with a shortness of, of talent, of good talent up there. So I, I know it's hard and it's hard, but it really highlighted that this was, you know, about patient experience, but it was really about risk management as well.
1: Do you have any solutions for us there? Because on the, the feedback from patients point, you add, you get a closed loop system, whether it's a cell checks, whether it's a medallia, whether it's another software. And you walked us through a little bit about how that can work. Other than just posting more, trying to raise salaries, trying to, to uh, maybe give people more benefits or whatever it might be, do you have more suggested solutions for how these managers might retain staff and recruit them for longer so that they don't make themselves liable to risk with a shortage like this?
0: Well, there are two things in your question. One was in how do you retain staff? And the other one was, you know, what can we do in the recruitment process? Or is there anything, you know, that we can do? So I'm going to first address the retaining piece. And, you know, how you retain people is you care about them, right? And so often we think the employee experience is, you know, is a pizza party or, you know, and those are good things. Please, I'm not minimizing that. But, you know, professional development, pouring into them personally and professionally. And there's a way to do that. Really caring about them, you know, building trust with with their direct. That's why the leadership piece is so important. And I've been probably doing 90% leadership development nowadays because, you know, healthcare leaders are, are so often promoted into these positions because they were good nurses or they were good, you know, in, in patient services or they were good in financial consults and they're not given the tools to really to lead people. They can manage the tasks but not lead the people. And so, you know, the in my personal opinion, I would say that the biggest re- retention strategy is leadership development and how to lead People and how to care for them and how to be servant leaders. And that is going to make people want to stay, you know, and not go across the street for another dollar an hour. You know, if, when you really, when, and you know, we've all worked for people that really care about us and we will, we will stay despite hard times. We will stay, you know, you know, just d- despite all the hardships because we know that we're cared for. So that's on the retention piece. Now, on the when it does happen, and you can't always control that, right? When it does happen, in you've got openings. This is going to sound a little cheesy, but you know I me, mean, I'm a little cheesy, but <laughs> giving oxygen to hope. And I know what I mean by that is that so often the clinics feel that it is a secondary priority to fill their open positions. And I know, and I know for a fact with a few organizations, that is not the case. It is their number one priority. They, you know, the, People don't often see the back end of all the people they're screening. You know, they're trying to find the right candidate, not just any candidate. But where the breakdown is is in the communication, and it's 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 HR being able to communicate or communicating the right message and giving oxygen to hope and speaking to the fear of the clinic of the people in the clinic and. I know you're spread thin, and I know you're working hard. And it doesn't have to be HR. it's leadership. I know you're working hard, and know that this is our first priority. And I, you know, I'm screening 60 people this week, and I want to find you the right candidate. And those messages aren't always happening. And you know, when when people feel that that their sense of urgency is your your sense of urgency is their sense of urgency, it's amazing how much that could just kind of that. How much better they can feel about, okay, I know, and give them confidence in the organization they're working for because they know they're doing the best they can and they know that it's a priority. They know that there's a sense of urgency there. So, you know, speaking to the fear, giving oxygen to hope, and communicating that this is absolutely our new. one.
1: Let's use that as a segue into leadership then and talking about how to engage their hearts to lead them to instill that accountability because that is partly also a retention tool. I got to tell you, Lisa, I've probably, you said we've all worked for that type of people that really has engaged their, their people like that. I've both been that person and I've both not been that person. And I've, I've not been that person at times where you're crazy busy. And clients have a, a lot of needs and your recruitment or retention pipeline is slow. And and then managers can end up taking on a lot of, of that responsibility. And then they can become resentful at one time or another. And, you know, that, that servant leadership can be difficult at a time. It is really difficult in a time where you're like, I am Working my tail off. I'm. Yeah, I can't, I can't hardly sleep. I'm working from seven to seven a.m. to ten p.m. at night, and I am totally focused on this. And I'm trying to keep my team from feeling that burnout. But yeah, eventually, it's like, yeah, hey, get the damn thing done. Like, and and then you turn into a, a manager that you might not have been previously, and. And so I'm wondering if you can talk to that a little bit about from the leadership coaching of, uh, of how you can be that leader at a time when everything is underwater, where so many fertility clinics are right now.
0: Yes, yes. And I have to tell you, the organizations that I've been working with are amazing and the hearts for their people are there. And, you know, we can't always control our circumstances. We can't always control what happens in terms of people leaving, you know, or things that happen, processes, protocols that need to be changed. But one thing I always, when I'm working with leaders, I always say, my response is my responsibility you know i can't control what's coming at me all the time but my response is my responsibility and i know for me when you said you've been that leader you've, you've you've been that leader and you haven't been that leader i say very much the same. And I have an executive coach who has just been amazing and she talks to me off the ledge all the time. I'm like, help me get me out of my emotion. You know, help me to help me to formulate a response that's caring and and that validates the feelings of the teams as well as holding them accountable. And one of the things that I'm finding in clinics is that leaders are so afraid of losing someone that and I, I spoke to this on the last podcast I believe they're so afraid of losing someone that they're not coaching for behavior change they're not redirecting that be that toxic or that negative behavior especially the leader right and and so equipping them for two things equipping leaders, to be intentional, to celebrate those wins, to be on the floor, to, to put the tasks down and uh, to be on the floor with their people and intentionally catching them doing something right, as well as addressing those, you know, those negative behaviors or those toxic behaviors, the gossiping, the negativity, the complaining. You know, it was complaining is like vomit, you feel better afterwards, but everyone else around you feels sick. And so so as leaders, really working with them, I'm getting very comfortable at that skill and teaching people how to have a voice, but how to do it productively and how to do it in a way that inspires change rather than just feeds and plant seeds of negativity. You know, those are the things I think that that are bringing the most change in in, in my experience that I'm doing and, and certainly just understanding my response is my responsibility. And as a leader, we have a responsibility that the words that come out of our mouth, are optimistic. They don't have to be positive and lying. We can say, you know, we can say things are tough. You know, the definition of optimism is not the denial of the current state. The definition of optimism is saying, you know, this really sucks, or this is really hard right now. But it's going to get better, and this is going to help, you know, streamline things for us so we can give better, you know, patient care. And so that, that attitude of optimism and holding people accountable, catching them doing something right, and then realizing and teaching and, and just cultivating a col- the culture of my response is my responsibility, those are the things that, I, that I'm seeing are really helping in the clinics.
1: That axiom that you talk about of vo- complaining is like vomiting—you feel better afterwards, but everyone around you feels sick. I really try to take that into other areas of my life too, Lisa. And I think I hear your voice saying it to me in my own head. Like I want to, I want to complain to my wife when she gets home about how the tech didn't show up, you know, to fix our Wi-Fi or whatever. It's like this mother-loving a girl, and I try to remember, like, who's that going to make feel better? me for 10 seconds and then you know I'm just going to dump all over her day. So I try to I try to carry that into to other areas. You've you've mentioned you've been you've mentioned several times during this interview this isn't about Yale but let's take a similar situation where we have a clinic that is down at least a couple nurses and and, and you've got managers running around probably doing a whole bunch of things out of the normal scope of their seat. How would you coach them from a leadership perspective to where they can still hold people accountable?
0: I'm not going to claim that that's an easy thing to navigate. It is very challenging, especially because, you know, the rollout of new software or or the changes, that doesn't stop regardless of how many openings you have. And so that could definitely present lots of challenges for a leader. But by showing them and and coming alongside them and really really coming alongside them arm in arm and saying you know you can do this and you can do this by identifying those that can do it with you, you know, who's going to come alongside you in the clinic and champion for that optimistic attitude and, and prioritizing things. And again, going back to caring for people, what happens so often in these situations is they're managing the tasks and they're trying to fill their positions. And I was in the clinic once when the practice administrator had to be in our office screening, you know, resumes for, you know, six hours and I thought, about this, you know, and, and it was so hard for her because she wanted to be on the floor with her people. And so, you know, really just carving out time and putting those, you know, p- putting the tasks down where you can and investing in people and making sure that you're talking, to people on on the service recovery part. One of the things that hit in in that episode four was that the patient as well as the teams were saying, we didn't get any genuinely caring communication. Nobody addressed our feelings about this. It was always the legality, the legal language. And anytime in service recovery, and I think that your question of, you know, when there's a situation in a clinic where you're short-staffed and, in you know, all those things, it's a little bit like surface recovery, where you have to speak to the fear. And, you know, fear is a liar. Fear is a liar, but we listen to it. And so when patients are fearful because they're continuing their treatment in a situation like this, and they're walking into a clinic and they can't talk to their nurse about it because their nurse has been, you know, told, you cannot say anything. You know, how can that nurse, help alleviate those fears you know, we need to equip people to speak to the fears and equipping them means teaching them you know the verbiage you know what kind of verbiage you would say what would you say to a patient and it's similar for a leader with a team what do you say to your team when you know they're working their tail off do you just tell them like deal with it i'm working on it or do you say, look, I know this is hard and I appreciate your hard work and just know that this is my number one priority and I'm working hard to fill this. And, and you know, is there something that we can do together? You know, is it, do you, what ideas do you have? You know, really partnering with your teams in the solution. And so often leaders feel like they have to fix everything when, when you know, the team sometimes have the best solutions. And so really partnering and not feeling like you have to fix everything, but caring for people. Would be my best advice.
1: I want to give something to the listeners that you made me think of when you talked about that practice admin that was going through 60 resumes or however many you said 200 resumes, whatever you said it was, and there's P- plenty of people listening that have to do that, and it's dozens or it's hundreds of resumes. And one thing that leaders can do that I did that completely changed my business was hire someone else to do that to go through the resume. So by the time my hiring manager gets a resume, it's a short stack, and the 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 recruiting specialist, the HR person, is going through those interviews before or going through those resumes doing the screening interviews, like the 20-minute screening interviews that are only a few questions, and then bringing those to the hiring manager so that you are going through this process faster, one, and two, you're not asking the hiring manager to do all of that. That was a a life changer for me. And a lot of people are listening and they think, well, I can't hire that person because we're a small practice. You can hire that person as an independent contractor. You can hire that person part-time. And for all the economic reasons that Lisa talked about, as well as the risk mitigation liability that she's talking about, it is a much cheaper solution and I strongly recommend people do that. I get more into that topic with Dr. Eric Widra. That episode will come out after this one does but i am telling everybody listening it totally changed my business i was in a position where you when you're, you're trying to do all the things that Lisa's is talking about and and you do that for a while and then you do it for a little while longer and you're and you're still at this problem where, you know, maybe when you are trying to involve your team for solutions, you're involving them in areas where they shouldn't be involved because they're supposed to be accountable for other things. I was doing all of that and 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 now having the system has made things better. I was key I was not rewarding people quickly enough. I was not advancing and growing some people, and then because of that, I was also letting other people that should have been fired in 2 seconds stay on and 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 and, and not contribute to the solution. So that's a huge, huge thing that I think leaders can do. Get a couple recruiters, have some redundancy in HR. It's okay to have some redundancy in HR. You can do it at a part time, hourly, independent contractor level if you have to, as long as it's scoped properly. And that can, can really to help with some of those other things. So you've talked about some of that leadership coaching of of how they can approach their teams about being prepared for the responses, being prepared for the conversations. Then how does that lead into to service recovery in in your view? What what happened in in this situation and what should it look like?
0: Yes, service recovery is more than just when a patient is upset, I mean, that is, that is more seriously how we talk about service recovery and very, very important. But the concept, I've got three steps that I teach. and The concept is very relevant internally for leaders with their teams, as well as externally with teams with their patients. And the step that we always forget to do is validate the feelings. And when I talk about, you know, speaking to the fear, when you're talking to a patient who is fearful that, you know, what if this doesn't work or what if I, you know, what if what, what if I didn't pick the right doctor or what if my body's just not going to respond? You know, when you can speak to that fear, when you can say, gosh, I can understand why you're feeling anxious. You know, there's so many emotions to this. Like, you know, I, I, I would feel that way too. And, and just know we're here for you. Right. That, then you, you then you kind of, I wouldn't say diffuse, but you communicate to the patient or the person that I'm, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. It is not I'm just trying to fix something for you. It's I'm on your team and I get it. And it's very normal for you to feel the way you're feeling. And it's the same. So in this situation, patients didn't get that, right? So they relied on each other. And, you know, so they were all in one camp. And then same with, with the organization that the teams did not I'm not claiming that they didn't. It didn't sound like they did because, you know, they were told don't talk about it amongst yourselves, don't, you know, share. And, and of course they, you know, they said, how can we not? you know right we're very affected by this too we were very we were betrayed by donna as well and so how can we not talk about this and so speaking to their fear and just saying just you know if, if the organization were to or the leader were to say listen i know that you're fearful of the press of what's going to come out and that people are going to think that you're working for an organization that's not but that doesn't have their act together or doesn't care about patients let me tell you that is so far from the truth and this is what we're doing to prevent that from going, moving forward or from ever happening again, right? You're speaking to that fear. That's really important. You're validating those feelings so that when you go to the fix-it place, they're ready to receive that fix-it. And so the first step is validating those feelings. The second step is getting more information. Tell me more about that. Invite the patient, invite the team member to talk to you about how they're feeling or about the situation or give you facts. So that you can, you know, fix it in the proper way, and then the last one is to take ownership, right? And it's, it may not be my fault, but it's my problem, and and taking ownership of the follow through and not just, you know, sending it off to another department that you cross your fingers that someone's going to call them. So you personally following through with that. So it's a very simple three-step recovery process process that really, and and I think I realized that during this podcast in that episode number four, that the service recovery that I've been teaching all these years for patient experience is very relevant here in the team member experience as well.
1: So you validate the feelings, you get more information, and then you take ownership of that follow-through. Is this something that people can do even if there's a legal liability because if I've done something wrong I want to admit it I want to share what I've what we what we're doing to change it I've also never been in a situation this public profile with this high level of stakes and it's all the lawyers that are involved and I could only if my lawyers were telling me shut up and just keep your mouth shut then I would feel I that would be really conflicting for me because it's like we did something wrong I want to take ownership of it but I also don't want to maybe accidentally take ownership of some legal li- liability that we r- really aren't responsible for. Like, how it, it, can they use this in this? Like, maybe that's what you were saying about not it's, it's not my fault, but it's it's my responsibility. They're still like, here's what we're doing to to change it. Do you have any thoughts on what that would look like in a really litigious environment like this?
0: You know, Griffin, I will tell you, I feel very equipped ill equipped to answer that question because i don't have any legal background and i understand the risk of somebody saying the wrong thing and i appreciate the trying to control that i really do and so so i think my service recovery in this situation was really more about leadership and you know following the 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 guidance from their legal counsel absolutely follow that and you know that does that mean that you also can't you know get your team together and and have a very honest conversation about you know I understand how or tell me how you're feeling you know you, you just just. Tell us how you're feeling. Tell me how you're feeling, right? And and to have some of those conversations, of course, within the the the, the boundaries of 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 me you know managing the risk there. And so, you know, that would be something. I would hope though that a leader of an organization or a high level leader would have that conversation with our legal counsel and how do we take care of our people? What can we say? What can we do? What can we do with patients? What can we say to patients? And it, it felt like, and I'm just going to say it felt like, because I don't have any proof on this, but patients perceived that, that the organization was just trying to, to care about the organization. And so I think that the question to your legal counsel is how can we maintain the boundaries of what we need to be doing legally as well as take care as well as care for our patients and our teams during this time.
1: People can check out this mini-series. It's called The Retrievals. It's a New York Times serial podcast. By the time this episode comes out, all five of the episodes of that mini-series will come out. It's called The Retrievals. First episode about the patient. Second about the nurse. Third about the court case. Fourth about the clinic. Fifth to be determined, but you've walked us through how we can prevent these incidents in the future by first having a closed loop feedback system, second, by having, by equipping the team to, for retention and recruitment of personnel and viewing retrench, retention and recruitment as not just economic nice to haves, but it truly is a risk mitigation. Factor. You talked about enabling leadership to engage the hearts of their team and to employ accountability. And then you also talked about three points for service recovery when something like this happens and you need to make it right. What didn't I ask you and and or how would you how do you think we should conclude this topic?
0: Thank you for asking that. Actually, I you asked everything, and so thank you very much for that very engaging conversation. And thank you for putting in your your experience with HR and what you did. I think that's really helpful. I think that I you know when I first listened to this podcast, I wanted to hide it from everyone because I thought I don't want any future patients hearing this because they're going to be so afraid of fertility treatment. And so so I, I I strongly recommend everybody listen to this podcast. I and not but and i recommend that you listen to it with a heart of not looking at how the system failed necessarily but looking at what we can learn from this and i'm realizing that although one person made a really bad decision there are hundreds of thousands of Of people, there are hundreds and thousands of amazing nurses, amazing doctors, amazing leaders, amazing patient care specialists out there that are taking great care of patients every single day and helping them achieve their dream of a baby or a family. And so so, you know, just to go into it with that thought and that idea and putting things into perspective and that, you know, this was one person's decision out of so many people that make great decisions every day to really care for people and just really going into it and what you can personally learn from it. I, I highly recommend uh, this podcast to
1: We'll include your contact info in the show notes and pages. But for those clinics that could use some leadership help, they could use some team help with, with some of the things that you've talked about today, how can they get a hold of you?
0: Uh, yeah, they can call or email me. They can go onto my website, which is uh, lisaduranconsulting.com. I have on my contact information there. But yeah, I would love to come alongside you. And and it's that integrated experience. It's not just one. It's all of it. It's leadership development, patient experience, and internal culture. That's the secret sauce. So thank you, Griff. Thanks for having me.
1: Lisa, the pleasure is always mine. Thank you very much for coming back on the Inside Reproductive Health podcast.
0: Thank you.